right, Genesis 4. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the, of the Lord. And again she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, on his part, also brought of the first fruits of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and, is de- and its desire for you, but you must master it. Verse 8. And Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field what Cain rose, that Cain rose up against his brother and killed him. That's an interesting statement right there. Just pause. Isn't it interesting? Exactly. Do you ever wonder, Cain told his brother Abel. wonder what he told him. Wonder what he said to him. When we're studying our Bible, that's the kind of questions we ask. We don't always get answers, but they lead us to a good investigation of Scripture. But it says, and Cain told Abel. Did he tell him what the Lord had said? I wonder. Just pause right there. All right, let's keep moving. Verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. You shall be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from the face I shall be hidden, and from your face I'll be hidden, and I shall be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. And it will come about that whoever finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain, lest anyone find him and should slay him. And Cain went out of his presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Very good. So, this is really, think about it, this is really a, a, a completion, a continuation of the story of Adam and Eve. And there are some difficult aspects of the passage. There are some things that leave us with questions, like, you know, it just says he, told, he just told Abel. What did he tell him, I wonder? And so there's things that we have like that, little details with not a lot of background to them. So, for instance, you know, it says that they, they sacrificed. But where did that institution of sacrifice begin? Why did it start? Who gave instruction to it? Because there must have been some instruction there because each of them brought something forward and offered it. But where, we don't have any information about where that began. We have, there's this thing about why was Cain's sacrifice not acceptable while Abel's was in verse 5. There's no information for us to really have an absolute certainty about why that happened. It's interesting to note that the whole of the chapter is about the offender, the bad guy, not about the good guy. And really, what we know about the good guy is that he is the son of Adam and Eve, the brother of Cain, and a shepherd. And he's dead. And that's all we know about the good guy. 
The whole chapter is about the bad guy. And that even though things have changed now, they live outside the garden, they still seem to have a direct relationship of some sort with God, where he is talking to him in some direct fashion here. So that's interesting as well. So when we look through here, verses 3 through 9 here, so it comes about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering, and Abel brought his offering, and they put him before the Lord, and obviously God has said to one, like, I approve of this one, and I embrace it, and it's affirming, and it's, and it's you are blessed, I guess, you know? And then he looks at the other one, and he goes, this one's not. And Cain responds, and he's like, he's angry that his offering wasn't, and God says to him, look, it's okay. Just do better next time. Just do it this way next time. But I just need to warn you, Cain. I just need to say to you, if you don't change, if you don't do better, if you don't do it differently, sin is crouching at your door. In other words, if you don't change, things, bad things are going to come of it. So change, all right? He says that. But that did not appease Cain at all. So you have verse 8 here, and it says that he took his brother out in the field, and they were out there, and somewhere in that walk in the field, he killed him. Isn't it interesting that later on in Scripture, we're going to come to another set of men, men who believed themselves as brothers, yet not by blood. And when they walked out into the field, Jonathan and David, they set a covenant that lasted one man yielded to the other one. It would have been the right of this one man, Jonathan, to be the king of Israel. It was his right to be that. And yet God had set that right aside and given it to David. And Jonathan knew it. And so there was not the jealousy that we find in this story. There was not the anger that we find in this story. There was not the retaliation that we find in this story at all. Just interesting that two brothers later on demonstrated exactly what God would have all of us to do. And yet chapter 4 is a great mini-series, if you will, of what life is like too often. Whether it's murder or not, but it might be slander. We might murder each other with our thoughts. We might murder each other with our words. We might murder each, murder each other in actions that fall short of violence, and yet we still are violent inside. And so here we are, chapter 3. You remember, the way that this story continues, you remember last week we talked about that, that we saw that in the curse there was a separation that happened. We saw that, that sin had begun to fracture society, begun to fracture relationships and all. And, and that brokenness, that separation continues into the story, but that brokenness is also is what's there. That brokenness of spirit where man is no longer concerned about his fellow man, but he's really concerned with himself more. And that brokenness that drives us to do things, to say things that I was just speaking about, that might not be murder, but they are still sinful, they are still hurtful, they are still separating in their words and their actions. Things that we find to be almost impossible to escape. This week... I have a friend who died of an overdose in North Philly, one of the guys from the house. Good guy. Loved him dearly. Good guy. But he could not escape that brokenness in his life, and it took it Thursday night. 
I'm really glad that we as a church will have them in our house here in just a few weeks. I am so glad that you guys love them so well. I'm so glad that all those baskets got snatched up the first morning right away. And that when we have them downstairs for lunch, you guys celebrate them and are so kind to them. Because the harsh truth in my, is that I, I'm so sad that some of them won't be here next year. And it's not because they're out of the house. Love them well, church. I'm so grateful that you'll do that. I'm so grateful that you'll do that. So we're looking forward to that in a couple weeks. That was my thing. It's been on my heart. We can, we'll move on. So there's this brokenness that happens, and we, some of us find it incredibly difficult to escape that brokenness. But here, we remember we talked about two weeks ago, and we talked about how there, there's a brokenness that happens in five different ways. We talked about that there's a brokenness that happens in our relationship with God. There's a brokenness that happens in ourselves. There is a brokenness that happens creation, others, and life. And would you agree that that separation outside that, that began in the garden has continued to reveal itself and unfold itself even further outside the garden? So here in our story today, it's, it's extended, the separation, this brokenness is extended to the children of Adam and Eve. And so here we are with God. And like this is, you know, some of us would say, I could never say that to God. Is it not bold to think that he says, you're asking me about my brother? Am I my brother's keeper? There is a boldness there that in some homes would get you slapped, wouldn't it? And yet, here is this man who has the boldness to speak to the Creator that way. Realize that we are not reading a story about somebody else. We are reading a story about us. Because we say the same thing to the Lord in some form or fashion daily. That's not my job. Am I supposed to take care of their needs? They don't take care of their needs for themselves. I'm not doing that. Whatever it may be, we are constantly rebuking the Lord for trying to draw us into his plan. Are we not? Even if that rebuke might not be verbal, but it is by ignorance, it is by ignoring it, it is by walking away from it. There he is. Separation from Abel, from ourselves, our separation from others, separation from Abel, that jealousy, that hatred that separates from each other. You see it here in its full bloom. Separation from himself. Here Cain is, he is experiencing something that the human body, the human spirit was initially not created to experience, and that was anger, rage, jealousy, hatred, murder, and then creation. He suffers the separation from creation more so than all other mankind because he's told not only will you have to work to bring fruit from the ground, for your case, it will not yield at all. And in this, none of this is the way that life was supposed to be. Instead, all of this is the further deterioration of life as God intended it, as he created all of mankind and earth. We could go so far even to say that we see the seed of the woman that we read about in Genesis 3 and the seed of the serpent in Genesis 3 as being unfolded here further where it is obvious that Cain has stepped into the track of the seed of the serpent and begun to follow him in that. There's other questions here. What's wrong with Cain's sacrifice? 
it's interesting about God's warning to him. And, and what was the warning that God gave that protected Cain's life? It says, you know, there in verse 9, I think, I mean, in verse 13, it says, therefore, I will put a sign on Cain. Another kind of like statement without much to know about it. And yet it says something, not about Cain, it says something about the Lord. That even, and it goes right back to the promise and the punishment of chapter 3. He he began punishment, but he also gave promise. And so here he is. He has punished Cain, but he has also had compassion on him and protected him. But we don't know anything more about that. About the sacrifices. How do sacrifices begin? What instructions were given to them? We're not really clear. We don't know about that. The text does not give us those details. But something has happened. There appears to have been a system or a manner um, that has been put in place, and God is aware of it, and God has an opinion about it because he said this one is good and this one is not. And, and there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. And we know from Hebrews 11, we know from Hebrews 11, it says that by faith, Abraham, I'm sorry, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commended him by accepting his gifts and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. I love that last phrase especially. Though he died, he still speaks. We are left to assume that Cain's offering was probably not in faith by that statement. We've learned that much about the offerings. And note also that it says that God commended him. That means that he praised him. He applauded him for what he, his, his sacrifice it's also, it is so easy to read the text and conclude that God condemns Cain. You know, it is, it is not a new thing, you know, like in our culture, if you disagree with me, you hate me and you're the bad person, you know. Well, that didn't start with just us, obviously, because here we are, we read into the passage things that didn't necessarily happen, because we read in the passage that God hated Cain. And it doesn't say that at all. It says that he did not commend him. He didn't applaud him. He didn't say that sacrifice is great. Not at all. It says, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. There's no hatred or condemnation of Cain. There is only a hatred or a condemnation, rather, of his offering. So a matter of fact, God encourages him in verse 7. In verse 7 there, he says, now look, do it, do it this way. Be this way. Consider this. He gives him instruction and warning. And what is Proverbs say about those who heed warning, those who heed warning are wise, those who do not are fools, and they will suffer the outcome of their behavior. And so here we find that Proverbs to be true right in Cain's situation. Do well, and it'll be well with you. You'll feel better. Your attitude will change. But what is it about Abel's sacrifice that seems to distinguish it from Cain's? Well, first of all, Hebrews says it was in faith. Abel brought the firstborn and the fat of the sacrifice. In other words, he brought the best. He brought the best. It cost him something to sacrifice that animal. It was among his best. I, uh, you've heard me re- refer to it before many times because I just love it and all. And I, I recently went back through and read it again. But in First Chronicles, where David is supposed to sacrifice, and he ha- comes to the threshing floor, and the owner says, I'll give it to you. And what is David's reply? He says, I cannot sacrifice that which costs me nothing. It would be no sacrifice on his part then, would it? 
Um, I need I need to give offering plate. Can you lend me five dollars, please? Whose offering would that be? Mine or hers? Obviously, it's not mine because I didn't get anything out of her. But you know what I mean. So, whose offering would it be? If it costs me nothing, it's it's of no value, is it? And so here it is. We learned that in Abel, he gave his best, so it cost him something. It was it was important to him. And it says that Cain brought an offering. Nothing special. Nothing distinguishing about it. It was some of what he had. But it wasn't his first. It wasn't his best. What is the one thing that the Lord tells us that he wants our offerings to be? What is it that he wants us to be? What is it we've even said about our own offerings? You know, here we are every single Sunday. We don't offer, a, we don't run a plate by you at all. We have a box back there. There's two of them back there. Doug, get out of the front of the offering box. That's going to foul it up a little bit. We need people to be able to see it, you know. Yeah. And then there's another one downstairs where the offering box is. And so we tell people, especially in orientation class, is like the Bible talks about a percentage, but we're not going to count your offering, and no one's passing a plate to make sure you know what you're giving. What we're saying to you is God says give sacrificially. Give so that it costs you something. And so we entrust you between you and the Spirit of God that he is working your life in some way that you realize that you owe him back in every aspect of your life and that's one area you owe him back and that you give him back financially in such a way that it costs you something. That's what the sacrifice is about. That is one of the distinguishing features that appears between Cain's sacrifice and Abel's sacrifice. That, that Abel gave in such a way that it was meaningful, it was costly, it was valuable and Cain brought something and offered it. Finally, there is this also, and admittedly, this is speculation. Abel's sacrifice meant that blood was shed. Cain's didn't. We read this passage last week when we were discussing this and, and out of Hebrews 9.22. According to the law, one may almost say all, all things are cleansed by blood. Without the shedding of the blood, there is no forgiveness. When blood has been shed, there's been cost. Has it not? We, we don't know what God did in chapter 3 where he provided clothing for Adam and Eve, but it, we know it was animal skin. So some animal, and I'm sorry if it disturb you, but some bunny maybe gave up its life, its blood, so that its skin could clothe Adam and Eve. It was no longer. It cost him everything to do that. And this is an important reminder. There are, you know, I just was hearing a podcast and it was talking about there are no free lunches at all. There really isn't anything free at all in this life. Everything comes at a cost to someone. Maybe not to you. You might actually get it free, but it costs someone somewhere else. The government paid for it, maybe, or your manufacturer paid for it so they wouldn't have to charge you for it, or grandma paid for it, or mom paid for it, or somebody else paid for it, but somebody paid for the stuff that comes as free, just like Jesus paid for salvation that is free. Everyone in this room knows that they've done bad things. And in the spirit world, you know, when you do bad things, there is a penalty There is a cost for doing that. And if you don't pay that penalty for the bad things you've done, who will? There are no spiritual free lunches either. Paul says that rarely will a man die for another in Romans 5, 7. 
But God, in his compassion, not wanting that any of us would ever perish, God made a way for everyone to receive that penalty to be paid on their behalf. I didn't say it was free. God said it was free, but it cost him. It's free to us, but it cost Jesus. God sent his one and only son, his perfect sinless son, to die a death meant for you and I. And all we have to do to take that payment is to believe that we can't pay it ourselves and that someone else has paid it for us. And that someone was Christ, and he has. I would suggest that Cain's desire wasn't to not fully honor God with his life, and his sacrifice was only to appease him, to do what had to be done, to pay him off, in a sense, hush money, Maybe not hush money for God, but hush money for his own conscience. I did that. I made my sacrifice. We're good. I'm walking on. I'm on with my life. There's other things to do. His desire got in the way of his duty. Do you see that? What we understand about sacrifices is that they should be costly. We know that much about a sacrifice. But here is a man whose desire, it appears to just kind of move on with life got in the way of his duty to actually put something on the table that was costly. His first fruits. His duty was to love and honor God with his very best. His desire was a way of, and, and desire has a way of clouding our perspective or altering our reality. When we have a desire, especially one that is forbidden, we have a way of minimizing all the things that we can do and maximizing, playing up the things that we are told we can't do. You, so you think about the Garden of Eden. You know, you imagine a vast garden with innumerable plants and trees that they were allowed to eat from. And yet here she is, underneath one particular tree, let's imagine, with the tempter, and it's like, you have every tree in the garden to eat from, and you want to eat from this one? That's what desire does. It looks at everything that is, is permissible, it looks at everything that we can do, and it says, that's not enough. This one thing that I can't do, that will satisfy me. Is it not true? And we're not even talking about, about the big stuff. We're, I mean, this boils down to one more cookie. It is just what we are. When we became broken, when that sin darkened our soul, that's what it came down to. What I'm never satisfied. I want what I can't have. Desire clouds reality. And we don't see all that we do have. We don't see all that is permissible. We only see the one thing that is not permissible. And desire says, that is what I want. David did it with Bathsheba. He could have any woman in the kingdom, but he wanted that woman who was married, who was someone else's. I want that. You see it happen all the time. You've done it this morning. I've done it this morning. 
When we say amen here, in a few minutes, when we say amen here, you're going to do it again. It is our nature. Cain's desire was to get away with an offering. Probably came in all forms of rationalization, rationalization that explained why it was okay to do what he was doing. Why it was okay to do, to kill a brother when all he had to do was do it differently next time. The punishment is very similar to Adam and Eve's. Because here we are, this is what it looks like. With Adam and Eve, they were put in exile, weren't they? They were kicked out of the garden. With Cain, he's not exiled from a place. He's exiled from the world. He is told, you will wander. You will wander. Adam was told, you are going to farm by the sweat of your brow. Cain was told, that ground will no longer yield to you at all. In the garden, when God came in the garden, what were they doing? They were hiding. And here we see that Abel said, I mean, that Cain says, that I, you are, I am going to be hidden from you as well. In the garden, God walked into the garden and says, where are you? And he knew where they were. And in chapter 4, he says, where's Abel? And he knew where he was as well. And in chapter 3, God steps in the garden. Adam and Eve are missing for a moment. And in chapter 4, Abel is missing, and he will be missing for all of time. What observations can we have that we see the punishment out of chapter 3 coming into the punishment of chapter 4? And the the one thing I would say is, is probably intensity, the degree of punishment. Life outside the garden has gotten worse, and it continues to get worse. It's just not lies anymore. Well, the woman you gave me, it's not, that's, what I, that's not enough now. Now it is my brother has harmed me in some way to the degree that I will murder him. And that, that cycle, that intensity of sin and bad things continues to go on. We see it in the Tower of Babel. We see it in the flood. We see it in our lives. We see it in our news every single day. But let's personalize this. Abel sacrificed appropriately. Cain sacrificed his way. Cain exercised autonomy. Cain wanted to do life by his own standards. This morning, in what area of your life have you decided that you're going to do things your way? In what area of your life have you decided, I really believe that this is what God might want from me, but I can't do that? It would hurt my pride. I'd be humiliated. Others would speak wrongly of me, make fun of me. So I can't do that, God. I'll do it my way. In whatever your life, are you being like Cain? Doing sacrifice in your own way with little cost or expense associated with it. And then secondly, how intense has sin grown in your life? Where has it gone unchecked? In what area of your life 
have you said, it's okay, that you marginalize the punishment that's associated with it, that you said that I want this, so I'll have this, no matter whatever else is okay, this is what I want, and I'll take it at all costs. You see, the stories in Scripture are not stories about other people. They are stories about us. Other people are just living them out in public. This morning, how are you? How am I like Cain? Ponder that. Ask the Lord to show you that. Repent. And, the, and the, the word to Cain is the same word to you. Do it differently. Repent. Don't do it that way because it's going to end bad. But if you change, it will end well. The words that he spoke to Cain, he speaks to you and I every day. Let's pray.